Hello again, my friends, and welcome to Jorgensen Soundbox. I'm bringing you my second solo cast on this cool winter day uh, with a crackling fire in the background. I hope you pick up a little bit of that and find it as relaxing as I do. This solo cast is going to be about Web3. I've spent maybe half my time over the past year trying to wrap my head around this, think about it, understand some of the jargon and some of the impacts and how this might look like or not look like what we've seen in changes to the web and the internet over the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, so this this sort of next little bit is going to basically be like if we were sitting at dinner and you asked Eric, abandon all concept of your social graces and just talk about Web3 and its impacts for like 45 minutes while we sit here quietly. Um, this is about what you would hear. Uh, everyone else would immediately leave the table. Um, but this is kind of what you'd hear if you just pulled my string on everything that I'd been thinking about uh, and trying all the ideas that I had to kind of try to wrap my head around this over the last year or so. Um, most of this is big picture, long arc kind of stuff. I, I When I try to understand um, uh, you know, the impact of a new technology like this and the social impacts, I, you know, I'm not very technical, so I don't really look at you know, super detailed uh, pieces of the implementation. I couldn't explain to you a lot of, you know, the pieces of the cryptographic breakthroughs, or if I did, I'd just be rehashing, you know, something I heard from Vitalik or Naval. Um, so what I try to lean into is coming up with these sort of simple kind of either rules or guidelines or ways to think about you know where that technology and the patterns of humanity already intersect so that we can predict the changes that'll actually happen in maybe in our daily life the products that will exist that don't exist now the opportunities uh, that we can see over the next 10 or 20 years and I'm sure as I look back on this in a year or 10 years, uh, some of what I'm about to say will be embarrassingly outdated or wrong. Um, some of my predictions will be off. Uh, I'm sure the terminology will change a lot, but I think it's helpful to process and at least keep taking swings at this. And it will show the growth that we've all had when we look back and see how wrong we were. Um, but that's how we how we take steps forward. Um, I will say kind of even before we get started that blockchains are really interesting to me because I think they're a technology that will increase the effectiveness of both democracy and capitalism. Two things that I are, are certainly kind of both fit under the imperfect but the best we have systems. I believe deeply in both of those systems and I think that a well implemented um, and widely distributed blockchain technology and technologies will um, advance both of those and make them bring them closer to the ideals um, that we hold for them and work out some of those bugs so um, I should say that's kind of some of where that this passion and interest comes from and uh, let's uh, let's dive in I I want to keep as far from jargon um, and introduce as few new definitions as I can. So uh, the cost for that is we are gonna pay in some somewhat terrible analogies. Um, but I, I wanna at least give a very brief sort of um, what is the blockchain, but I'm not gonna spend too long on here because I wanna really get into like 
the impact um, that will be sort of much easier, much more tangible um, for us to think through, I think, uh, going through examples. So this, there are way better definitions from way smarter people um, than me out there, but just for the purposes of this conversation, the blockchain is a cryptographic technological breakthrough. Um, it is a new sort of method of a software method, a new block of code uh, that means that we can create databases that are basically open for many people to view, but with incredibly accurate permissions and the ability for only, uh, everybody can view it, but only specific people who have the proper permissions can edit each line that they are supposed to be allowed to edit. Um, the analogy for this is rather than keeping one book of transactions, that is incredibly well guarded and only you know very specifically chosen people can edit it there are thousands of books that are open for everybody to read all over the world but everyone can only edit the line that they are supposed to edit with their own key their own special pen that they can use to access you know their line of the book um, and other people can see that they edit it and they only edited what they were supposed to um, so that is, and the there's a method that cross-references all of those books all the time to be sure that they all agree and that the record that we all agree on is the same. Um, there's now a bunch of different blockchains. They make different technical trade-offs, but that's the core of what happens is it's a cryptographic breakthrough that allows for openness, but very careful editing permissions. Um, and what that means is a lot of things. Um, so it's one of those kind of like little bit esoteric inventions that once it's implemented has a super wide ranging effects. So the, the plain English version of what they do, I think the best way to think about it is that they lower transaction costs. So what Web1 did was make it really, really cheap to publish things. So rather than the cost of publishing a book or publishing a newspaper, it became really cheap through software and the web and the tools of publication to write a blog post and put it up on a website, um, to create a website in the first place or to publish even photos. Um, so if that defined web one, costless publication, web two became defined by costless communication. So not only could the you know webmaster or writer of the blog post post something, but someone could like it, someone could comment on it. Um, the communication really broadly brought us social networks, um, two-way communication unlocked, marketplaces, um, two-way communication unlocked, things like Uber, where you could communicate your location, the car could communicate its location, and that enabled a new kind of transaction. That's an interesting example because the transaction that happened in the marketplace, in all the marketplaces that we use, Instacart, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, were still offline transactions. There's no difference between putting your credit card, you know, into like a reader or typing it into a website. It was still this transaction that happened through the old banking system the same way it would have happened 20 years ago or 40 years ago. What Web3 enables is costless transactions. So in our daily lives right now, we really only make 
I don't know, one to five transactions. Maybe you buy lunch, you pay rent once a month, you, you know, I don't know, buy groceries on the way home once or twice a week. Um, maybe you buy something online. You're not constantly making transactions. But when we saw what we saw in Web two was, you know, you went from communicating with a few people every day to a hundred people every day or a thousand people every day. As that communication became costless, it became way more prolific. And as transactions become costless, I believe they will become way more prolific um, through the distribution of Web3. Um, so we're just at the beginning of that now. But one of the things, uh, my mental tricks that I like to use here is how many, you know, if you go from doing five transactions a day to 50 transactions a day or to 500 transactions a day, because they're so cheap now, um, and that's one of the things that blockchain will enable is, is cheaper transactions. How, what are those transactions become? You know, if you were going to do 500 transactions a day, what are they? Um, you know, do you maybe pay for every minute of a movie that you watch? Do you pay your rent every day instead of every um, every month? Do you earn? You know every every word that you type or um, document that you complete or something like that. Um, so I have a blog post about this that that dials into um, a few more of those examples. But that is one of the things that blockchain does is lower transaction costs. And one of the things that I think we will see in Web three is a 10x or 100x of the transactions that we do each day, and the that could result in a really interesting world. Um, a second thing that they do that I think is is distinct and worth mentioning is they create cheap digital scarcity. Um, so almost everything is scarce in one form or another. There's a few different types of scarcity um, that I've got a blog post on as well. But um, let's really quick say there is fungibility. So whether something is replaceable, like a $5 bill, or unique and distinct, like a concert ticket. Um, that's types of scarcity. And then there's also hard cap versus open cap scarcity. You know, whether something is limited, like Bitcoin, there's only 21 million Bitcoin, or unlimited versus e like email addresses. So there could be as many email addresses as we want. No one's gonna say like, oh, we've created too many email addresses, we have to stop now. Um, but the, each one of those is unique. Um, so they are scarce individually, but not in max. So there's a little bit of a two by two there. And managing scarcity has been expensive uh, for the most part, or um, high effort. You know, we, we have to have somebody look at it and manage it and walk through these things. And the reason as that gets cheaper, um, that's another reason that the blockchain becomes valuable um, because we will be able to digital uh, use digital scarcity um, for way cheaper so you know things like items in video games photos blog posts books um, all of that will get easier and digital rights management will get easier uh, it might mean that we've got a, a resale market for something like digital books you know reselling a Kindle book is not particularly feasible at the moment, um, or reselling the rights to a digital image. Um, digital rights management, really, maybe a better way to think about it, actually. Um, a certificate of authenticity for digital items instead of, you know, the kind of uh, 
web one and two versions like once something became digital it was very easily piratable um we have you know all the movies get pirated and napster and all that stuff and um we are now maybe able to bring this sort of uh, a way to authenticate originality into into the digital world um and that can change an awful lot of things so reasonable questions. Uh, why does this matter? Um, so if if blockchains can give us lower transaction costs and can help us create digital scarcity uh, for cheap, why does it matter? And one of the things, uh, I think the biggest reason that it matters is that we are paying a tremendous amount every day to create trust. The cost of trust is absolutely massive and it's all around us. Like we are paying constantly to interact with trusted counterparties you know we buy things from brands because they have something to lose if the quality is poor um, we put our money into banks because banks have done all of the work to get their charter and get fdic insured and build a big ass vault and <laughs> earn our trust um, that they are going to be good stewards of our of our money um, we transact with companies that have good reviews because that goes into trust so I, I i have a this is a blog post that's actually done this podcast is about half blog posts that have been written and half blog posts that have yet to be written um so i do have a blog post called the cost of trust um that explores in a little bit more detail than we'll get into here how much it costs to create trust and and very importantly, like what happens to a market when there isn't trust? If there's not trust between you and another person, you stop transacting with them. Um, and if there's anybody in the, you know, if there's five sandwiches that you can buy, but you know one of them is going to give you food poisoning, but you don't know which one, you're not going to transact in that market. Um, and so trust is important on an individual transaction basis, but also it has an effect uh, when there's a when there's a lack of trust in the market, anywhere in the market, it affects the entire size of the market and the number of people who are willing to participate in it. So there's a lot of effort that goes into creating trust. Um, and I think the blockchain, as, the, as it gets more and more distributed and more transactions uh, have happened on it and more things are originally created on it, we are going to have a significant amount. Uh, we're gonna to have to pay less for trust. Um, it's going to get pretty interesting to see how, uh, you know, if, if we're paying somewhere between, you know, Visa's like we pay 3% um, for those transactions. I think some places are like 30%. Auction houses, for example, like we pay them a lot uh, to authenticate the piece of art that you're buying. I don't know what that rake is. It's called 30%. So anywhere between three and 30% um, that you're moving to, that unlocks. So those transactions become cheaper. They can happen more often. Um, and that is a lot of consumer surplus that comes to all of us who are who are using new things. The other reason um, why this the blockchain matters is, is decentralization. Uh, it's become a little bit of a buzzword. It's kind of the new like, democratization. Um, but I think there's some interesting components there. So um, so decentralization, the point is really there to not require a trusted central party like a brand. Um, so, you know, 
doing a transaction between a company and a individual without using Visa to intermediate, you know, fraud payments or um, chargebacks or things like that. So um, another example of decentralization might be peer-to-peer lending, getting a loan from a group of people or another specific person instead of going through the central entity, which is the bank. Um, I'm not so sure actually that most normal people care about decentralization as much as decentralization uh, sort of extremists seem to think. Um, But I do think that there is, you know, in the same way that democratization, it was a good word for uh, sort of web one and web two, that costless publication era and communication era, you know, democratization of writing really did happen, right? So that a lot more people are able to publish their ideas than have ever happened before. But we are not in a truly, deeply, maximally democratic world now that you know one of those, one or two things have been uh, democratized. In the same way, I think some, um, some and maybe many things will be decentralized and some central uh, sort of, I don't know, actors or parties or authorities or whatever currently uh, might get completely decentralized um, and an alternative will arise that makes them you know sort of crumble and implode the you know million or billion dollar question is is which ones um, I, I don't have a good answer for that yet but I think it's an interesting question to revisit and to sort of uh, take guesses at and write hypotheses about um, but decentralization drives a little bit towards you know, each of us as individuals being able to transact, to hold our own keys, to um, be our own central parties or manage some of those things for us, um, for ourselves, instead of relying on on others to do it all. So um, those are two kind of really big, like why it matters. Um, I, I It'll be really interesting to see. I do think decentralization will increase over the next 10 or 20 years. Um, There are people, just like the early days of the internet, who are calling for, you know, maximum, maximalized decentralization um, and think that we'll live in an entirely decentralized world and, you know, federal governments will crumble. And um, I don't don't see that happening. I think um, in the same way, sort of the enthusiasm around a new enabling technology uh, lets us kind of look past all of the other sort of tangled pieces of a new implementation. And so I, I do think we will have a more decentralized world and um, it'll move forward, you know, 10 steps in some places and two steps in others. Um, but it is difficult at this point, I think, to predict where exactly and what that'll look like. So let's uh, let's talk about what will happen as blockchains get deployed. Um, so I think it, the first sort of item here is that we'll hit digital first. Um, that's probably, that may be already obvious to most people. Um, the and, and there are people who are currently kind of saying that blockchains are really only ever going to be good for managing digital items. I'm not as sure that that's true, um, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. I think it's a really, really interesting question. Um, but digital items will almost certainly get managed uh, on the blockchain. I think that's why we're seeing it hit um, finance first. So finance um, and gaming are two of the very biggest uh, sort of early 
industries. Um, I, won't, I don't even say that they are on chain yet, but that you know the the sort of Web three culture is merging with and looking at and deploying projects that work in. So we have crypto games uh, like Axie Infinity. We have crypto uh, sort of banking alternatives, stuff like Ave and Alchemix and. Uh, there's a there's a very long list. Uh, my my episode with Jason Hitchcock, he goes very deep in in all the things that um, DeFi decentralized finance, as as we call it, are are doing right now. But the things that are easily uh, that are already digital or easily digitized um, will sort of come onto the blockchain first, and that's where we'll start to see. You know that increased rate of transactions that or that um, lower cost of trust so we're already seeing loans getting granted on the blockchain we're already seeing uh, some methods of sort of uh, salary streaming is, is one of the promises that's kind of early but too soon to really say but that's something where you know you get your you get paid daily instead of every two weeks for example um, so we can brainstorm other things that are kind of that are digital um, NFTs are, are sort of come into the scarcity piece, um, the non-fungible tokens. And we're really seeing kind of like the, um, you know, I think it's like the million dollar homepage era of, of NFTs, right? There's a lot of um, experiments and a lot of playing around with what the different utilities are, what the options are. You know, I, there's a huge amount of utility uh, in NFTs over time. Um, you know, I, I think if, if there's skeptics saying like, "Oh, that's only for trading JPEGs," um, they're missing the point that this is like early sandbox experimentation with a new technology, and that we will certainly outgrow that and implement NFTs for much more important and massive things like votes or tickets or access or uh, I don't know, memberships. Like, there's a lot of things that'll happen there. Um, so. But it'll, it'll happen with digital first. Um, the second sort of step, maybe, and, and it's not really fair to put this chronologically, but um, just as mental buckets, it, is that I think we'll see digital component because the digital is so much easier to bring on chain and that there's value to bringing it on chain. We'll see digital components getting separated from analog components. So one, one interesting example, um, and I think there's a few um, projects or companies working on this but you know one of the things that we all interact with is the real estate system and the title industry um, that's not ideal that's a that's a place where we pay a lot for for trust right we pay the title office to be sure that someone has will tell the court that we own the land and that the person who's selling me the land owns the land and has owned the land and bought it from the person who owned it before them um, and then go through the same sort of steps of authentication on the banking side so but we'll see digital components getting separated from the analog components so here maybe the example is separating um, I'm seeing companies digitizing the mortgage but leaving the analog of, of the land and the title alone um, so there are protocols coming and saying like look pay us your mortgage you'll get a cheaper mortgage you'll get a better rate we'll we'll do the decentralized finance treatment on the mortgage um, but you will still interact with you know the title office and you will still own the land and you will still have all of the same rights to your land or your house or whatever that you would have had in the analog system. Um, in this analogy, I don't like a big kind of interesting unknown is actually like, will the title 
system eventually move on to its own specialized chain or some version of a blockchain because um, they're certainly operating from a database that's just a manually managed database or a digital, uh, you know, individual scarce database. And how and when that moves on chain is probably an interesting conversation with an expert to have, but I don't yet know. Um, but I think the theme of digital components getting separated from analog components so that they can be managed on chain is pretty interesting and we'll find new um, ways to connect those two. So another trend that I think will happen as, as blockchains get deployed here is that we'll find we'll see hardware that makes it easier for bits to manage atoms. You know, that's something that we've seen a number of times in Web2 actually, right? Like, you know, you could think of Uber and Airbnb both in that way. You know, you can go on a piece of software and beckon to a car, a bit of hardware that can come get you. Um, so I think we'll see more of that, but in a new twist, right? So now the now the atoms have to manage the bits. Um, so I, I had a great email exchange actually um, with a reader who provided me a little bit of research because he, he sent me this question and got really curious about it and pulled up a bunch of great stuff about how um, there's there is technology like RFID tags that can be sort of, they can't be removed without altering the, without breaking the tag, um, which is a really interesting, I don't know, it's just a peek at that technology, but it answers this question of like, okay, so you're going to, manage on the blockchain these pallets of things but if i just switch these two stickers all of a sudden like everything breaks and i think it's, a, it's definitely a problem to solve it's the first most obvious problem to solve but it's not an unsolvable problem um, and there are plenty of technologies that could be created to enable um sort of you to enter an error handling system when you know a tag or identifying label is removed rather than push us into you know the society to the brink of chaos because we switched some stickers like i don't, I don't think so um so I, I think there's a this is one of the blog posts not yet to be written um but something i will work on is this question of like the relationship between blockchain and offline uh, i think there's really interesting stuff to do there um whether it's you know, QR codes, RFID tags. Another is digital locks um, that are unlocked by by NFTs, by wallets on your phone. Um, so, you know, a crypto wallet that holds a specific key could be the key to your home. Um, that's, you know, not duplicatable, it's scarce. There's only three, you know, you know, who has them all. Um, but that's something that could be moved on chain, but used to manage atoms in the real world. And so it's another example of separating those digital components from those analog components. Um, so um, in the process of trying to understand all of this and what the hell's happening, um, I, I reread this, this amazing book by uh, an economist named Carlotta Perez. Uh, she wrote Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital. And she traces these sort of um, predictable-ish, or pattern, I should say, arcs that happen between a new technology arising and it actually get distrib getting distributed um, and the impact that that has, you know, not just on the market, but also on the culture, the politics, and sort of the managerial culture. Uh, you know, we manage differently when we're managing, you know, a global set of software developers than an assembly line in a manufacturing plant. And the culture of management of, you know, the Six Sigma era um, 
and andon chords versus the the globally distributed multilingual uh, digital part-time workforce is incredibly different and i think we will see um, more of that change and she talks about these sort of painful um, processes of upheaval and change and resistance and um, inevitability that happen. So it's worth looking, you know, past past the technology and even past the market implementation implications and into things like, um, you know, what will change in the culture of management over the next, you know, 10, 20 and, and 50 years. Um, in this conversation, uh, probably the most pertinent thing that's, that exists now is called a DAO, a D-A-O, stands for Distributed Autonomous Organization. Um, that's the, it's, it's a little bit of an ideal of the crypto culture that is, you know, an organization that is sort of the new version of a company, but it's not really a company. Um, it is a loose collaboration of volunteers, some of whom work full-time, some of whom don't, some of whom are compensated uh, some of whom are not, which does that make them volunteers? I don't know, but it's much more of a um, sort of fluid, currently at least I should say, it's a currently kind of a fluid, like meritocratic opt-in sort of partial employment. <laughs> so uh, the promise of that over time is that it gets more autonomous, that it becomes uh, quite a democratic thing. And you know, all the people who are, are working there or affected uh, can, vote on things that change the direction of the project, um, that users of the project can become, you know, builders and contributors of the project. And so I, while I don't, um, you know, it's another version where I think the, the extremists overstate, but uh, the sort of to dismiss it is, is also too extreme. So um, I think it is fair to say that, that DAOs and whether, whether they become you know, known as networks or protocols or something, will we'll take over some market share from companies. Some market share from companies will go towards DAOs. And people who currently work in companies will start to work in DAOs. Um, I'm already seeing sort of that happen more and more. There are people who can, you know, you can earn a full-time employment, um, you know, in all sorts of roles, you know, marketing or writing or creating tutorials, coding, designing, uh, creating art. And it just involves sort of finding your way to one of these projects and getting involved. Um, we, I've done an interview already with uh, Simon Judd, who is in this role at IndexCoop, um, which is a DAO that creates uh, crypto index products. I'm scheduling another one with SquidDAO, um, some of the participants from there. So that will be another podcast kind of on this, this topic of, of DAOs. And um, that's where we'll start to see some of these sort of cultural and managerial changes. Uh, another, and this is a little bit market and a little bit culture, but I think it's fair to say, um, and there's a blog post coming about this too, uh, as soon as I finish wrapping my head around it, that the biggest networks will be bigger than the biggest companies. So the biggest companies on earth now, um, uh, probably Apple, somewhere around two trillion um, at the time of, of this recording in market cap. Um, I think that we will see networks bigger than the biggest companies. Uh, I don't know what the timeline is, 10 years, 20 years. Um, I don't know if it's fair to call Bitcoin a network yet, perhaps, um, but Ethereum likely is, and we will have others. 
um, I think it's fair to classify other things that already exist as networks. We just don't have ways to measure them by market cap uh, the way we do with something like tokens or all these projects that exist. Um, so existing networks, you know, we say HTTP, um, the protocol that runs the internet and delivers most of the information that you read on a daily basis. Um, email, you know, POP3 or whatever the other um, email protocol is, um, those are used more than any, you know, branded product that you can think of. You know, those both probably have more users than Facebook or Apple or Microsoft. Um, I actually also think that it's fair to use an analogy to religions. Um, I think if religions had market caps, they would likely be bigger than any of the biggest companies on earth. And I think that we will see a, a new and even more powerful form of network effect um, sort of take on and the, these networks will be bigger than the biggest companies in part because they can in, there's no cap on involvement um, you know if you own an Apple device or Apple stock or develop on an Apple ecosystem you're contributing to the Apple network um, but there's only so many people who can work there not everyone can afford to use Apple devices and not everyone has the skills to contribute, you know, to build an Apple project and contribute to that ecosystem. However, uh, there will be in Web3 networks and ecosystems that the answer is yes to all of those things. Um, the, you know, the tokens will be fractionalized. Anybody can afford to be a shareholder um, and, and open. So anybody will be able to buy that um, across any border and in any amount. I think Bitcoin kind of already uh, fits that. I think Ethereum already fits that. Um, we will see everyone be able to contribute to the growth of the value of that network, um, no matter what their skill is. And people will be able to um, use whatever their skills are um, to, to contribute to that. So whether that's part-time or very fractionally or anything like that, we'll start to see um, all of that, that network effect flywheel that has become sort of the biggest competitive advantage of the biggest companies in the world will get applied to things that are not necessarily con today considered companies like Ethereum, but that we can all be shareholders of and participants in and contribute to the growth of. And I think that those will become bigger than the biggest companies. There's nothing that says that companies have to be the biggest um, or the only investments or the biggest things in the world. You know, we went through whole eras of human history where, uh, you know, the the feudal system was the biggest, most influential thing in the world. And then the church uh, or variety of churches were the most you know, influential thing in the world. And today, you know, I remember Jack Dorsey saying like, I start companies because it's the way to affect change in the world. Um, it's the vehicle that we have available to us. And I think we will see alternatives to those through, through DAOs, through networks. Um, and things like that will, will, like I say, take over market share from some companies and network effects will become even more powerful than they are today. Um, you know, Brad Burnham at Union Square Ventures said, we've now found the native asset class of information networks and its tokens. And I think so far, you know, something like Uber or Airbnb or, or Twitter is an information network but the native asset, we've been using a non-native asset class like equity to reward participants in those information networks. And with a native token, with a token that has actually like fits the system that we are trying 
to build um, and something that's you know transactable cheaply fractionally very quickly to anybody in the world who can contribute to it um, those are going to the incentives are going to be much more aligned and much more robust and much more fluid and it's going to strengthen all of those network effects that we're already seeing define um, so many of the most powerful you know companies and organizations on the planet um, so that's perhaps a slightly vague uh, prediction but I think it's a reasonable one and I think um, those are kind of useful ways to look at what's going to change and hopefully it doesn't introduce too much jargon doesn't introduce too much um, too many details um, about things and I, the goal with sharing some of this is really not to tell you in detail you know what I think is going to happen but to share with you the the, the notions or the, the rough directions um, so that you can really overlay hopefully some hard-earned uh, lessons onto your actual experience and your expertise in the world that you work in. Um, so I, I use some examples, but what's really most interesting and helpful here is hearing you know someone take this idea of oh the biggest networks will be bigger than the biggest companies um, let me actually apply that to my expertise in the energy industry and see how you know we have big energy companies but actually if you know we took the network um, so there's a there's a network called helium um, that is creating like a decentralized a network around um, IT infrastructure and so they've got lo-fi routers that are distributed um, they're working on 5g they're basically building a decentralized AT&T like an AT&T that is a network and so you can put up your own antenna you can provide service you can buy service um, and there's no need for AT&T the company if we build a robust network that rewards uh, that we can transact with and that rewards people who contribute to it and that we are willing to pay for um, and that everybody on earth can contribute to in some form or fashion like we may see that network outgrow AT&T in our lifetimes and that's incredibly interesting and exciting um, who knows if that'll happen who knows if 50 other things will happen but I really want to see a ton of examples and have conversations with people who say like oh I can take that mental model apply it to my expertise in the energy industry and say you know oh my god like if we give everybody, you know, a, a micro nuclear generator to put in their basement, we can decentralize the power grid and create massive efficiencies across, you know, all of the power distribution and savings and um, all of these things. So part of the, the alchemy here is me sharing vague rules <laughs> that are hopefully helpful for you to actually like take and apply to your expertise and the worlds that that you live in um and if you have something that clicks together as a result of this i would i would deeply love to hear about it um you can tweet me or email me or whatever um and if you want to come have an hour-long conversation about it um holler at me and we'll see if we should do this on the podcast um i want to wrap with like <laughs> A very reasonable question at this point in my monologue is okay Eric but what should I do what do I have to do um, the first thing is like you don't have to do anything uh, there's a bunch of nerdy pioneers uh, sort of working on this for you as a user like I'm not gonna say any of this stuff is super easy to use um, you know we are not at the point where like anybody can just 
go in and set up an account uh, and it's all fine and dandy and easy. Um, it is just not there yet. There is more than a lot of skeptics think, um, but it is crufty and difficult to use. And I would say if you are going to jump into using some of these protocols and tools, um, that is that is a great next step. But do it by reaching out to somebody who is a few months ahead of you and literally go sit next to them and like ask them every question that comes up. Um, that is how almost everyone who uses this stuff got into it in the first place. Um, get on YouTube, learn some stuff, ask some questions. It's not easy. And if you expect it to be easy, you will end up frustrated. Um, but you don't have to use this stuff to enjoy thinking about it and learning about it. Um, you know, we're still super, super early. Uh, it is also true that we are early enough and new technologies almost always mean a new frontier for opportunity. Um, if you are staring down a dead end, this is an incredible opportunity, perhaps uh, one of very few um, sort of generational opportunities and life-defining opportunities. Um, so it is still early enough that you can come in and get up to speed and find ways to apply you know the skills that you built over a lifetime in this new sort of world and ecosystem um, is growing very quickly everyone is desperate for talent and competence um, you can also uh, you can invest both your time and your money um, you, if you can if you want to invest money in companies or protocols or tokens um, you know none of this is financial advice I only mention things half-heartedly, um, but I, it is fair to say, like, I have and will continue to be investing in Web3, um, some personally, some through a fund that I'm putting together. If you're interested in that, you can get a hold of me. Um, if you are already working uh, in the video game industry, the art industry, or the finance industry, definitely pay a little uh, extra attention to this and walk with a little more urgency because um, this is kind of already in your in your neighborhood. Um, so it will pay to sort of get an early look at this uh, and start wrapping your head around it and seeing some of what's already happening um, in this world. It's, it's uh, really fun and really interesting. So, um, and that's probably the last idea, is that this is supposed to be fun. Um, Web3 in general is a kind of irreverent, weird, fun, crazy culture where it's actually easier to predict if things will do well if they make uh, no sense and are just like for the fuck of it. So um, <laughs> if you if you want to jump in and swim around, like be prepared to just laugh out loud and be slightly confused and bemused, um, but enjoy the lightheartedness of, of so much of what's happening. So um, this ends my uh, my antisocial over dinner monologue. Everyone else is long gone. Um, but I hope some of this was helpful and interesting for you. I have written a lot of this down in greater detail on my blog at ejorgensen.com. I will continue to flesh out a lot of these ideas. Um, but I hope this is a helpful sort of on-ramp um, or uh, exploration of some of these ideas and what might happen over the next few years. And I'm excited to revisit it and see how wrong I was. <laughs> Thank you all. Appreciate you. Talk to you later. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617. 
the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.